What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the TT Podcast. It's episode number 54. Today, I am joined by Prince. Hey there. And that's it. Uh, Ace is about in the ether doing more important things, unfortunately, than talking about video games. Mm. You know, like family and work and stuff, mm. which, you know, that sucks. It's but important. it sucks even more for sucks even more for him, really. So <laughs> it's been uh, quite a long time since we've done a duet. Yeah, actually, it has been. We've been pretty consistently uh, three. See that I just need to get back in the rhythm so that when this happens, I just grab Dave or Punky or whoever and just throw them in. But mm-hmm. I uh, quite literally threw the uh, sheet together about twenty minutes before we were supposed to start. So, <laughs> well, in this case, uh, we went. We, um... We weren't sure if we would have Ace this week, um, and unfortunately, at the last minute, we realised we couldn't. So, what's it? Indeed, we've done that. We've done it oh, well. before, so uh, our rendition will continue. Indeed. So, we'll jump straight into the news. Uh, so, this is just a little observation that I've noticed from following various editors in chief of various websites um seems like bethesda is doing review copies again it's very silently and quietly just started sending those out uh people have been receiving codes for the evil within two mm-hmm. uh and are currently reviewing that despite the fact that it's not supposed to be out until friday so i don't think they got more than a you know three four days or whatever but um you know, it's it's an improvement, and they did that with the last game too. I can't remember which Bethesda game that was. Well, that's uh, definitely a good thing in my books. I mean, I was not happy about it when it was announced back how many yeah. months ago it was now. But uh, even if even if it's just a week, at least yeah. it's it's kind of double gesture because for one, um, they're actually giving out copies again. Um, yes. And for two, they're giving out copies with the time enough to mm-hmm. review or at least start to review. So it's basically yeah. a full rewind. Um, yes, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's uh. So and the last one they ended up doing it for was Death of the Outsider, the um, Dishonored yes. standalone. Uh, which some people were like, oh, maybe it's just because you know it's a Dishonored standalone, and they just want to get a little bit more attention on something that otherwise might not get noticed as much, but. The Evil Within 2 is a full, proper, you know, $60 retail game. So, uh, presumably, it doesn't need that. Well, I stand corrected. Clearly, it needs that because it seems like that's the impetus for for this in the first place. Because Doom, I think, did fine. But from what what I've heard is that... um, Dishonored 2 did not sell very well, and most of the games in the past year or so haven't for them. Oh, so these so. are the ones with their um, no-warning policy? The games that didn't sell well, you mean? Yeah, is that the correlation? Yeah, it seems like there's been a, a correlation on the back end that uh, the games that did not have review copies, like Prey, Prey, from what I understand, I mean, nobody's really talked about it being a particularly sac- successful game. Mm-hmm. Uh and that that was just about when they started doing the review copies, I think. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, it, it, there's been, it appears, some correlation, and it seems like Bethesda's realizing that. And so, you know, they did their little test. They saw how it went, and apparently it didn't go very well. So we're back to the status quo, and that's not 
that's that is a good thing i think for everybody mm. clearly it it's something that they think is good for them because they're doing it mm-hmm. and it's something that's good for everybody else uh, everybody that reads reviews written on review copies that are handed out before the game is released benefits from that because you're going to get a more thoughtful review so yeah i mean good. i'm i'm a great proponent of uh of having if you've got a good game i think people should know it's a good game and you shouldn't be hiding away the, you know professional mm-hmm. thoughts on it and i think that i still think that really good games should give out their games for review a good two weeks before release because if you think oh, yeah. I, I always think of mario games so yeah what was the last one mario 3d world um yeah give it out really early let people play it and not only just play it but complete it like have the time to fully enjoy and appreciate it and then if they give a good review and it's coming out 98 and you know that you know you've got a good game and the world knows you've got a good game like the same thing for the last of us i remember the last of us new ip of course at the time mm-hmm. um even before it was on shelves you had these posters. I don't know if any of you remember, but these posters, which were just covered in review scores. And it was like yeah. 20 different lines of 10 out of 10s, 9.8 out of 10, like breathtaking, amazing, like these kinds of comments. And, you know, anyone who didn't sit up and say, hang on, this new IP might be worth looking at. Um, yeah. Just, I, yeah. If, if I remember, the review copies went out early too like really early because i think they let the reviews go up like a week in advance and everybody was kind of like what are they thinking having the embargo lift so (laughs) early because the game was coming out on like the first official day of e3 that year and so it was like you're gonna have the review go up and then it's gonna get lost in the press conferences or whatever but it did just fine so yeah it's it's a it's one of those things it's like if the message is that your game is good, then you don't need to control the message. You just mm-hmm. let people play the game and, and you know, run with that message. But if your game, if you're starting to try and control the message, then maybe it suggests that something is not good. In this instance, it's Bethesda and the games they made were solid games. You know, there's no question that Dishonored is a solid good game and that prey is a good game like, and dishonored 2 is um from what i heard just improved on the original so yeah yeah so it's uh it, i don't think it was really anything like that they really were just trying a policy but it's like you know it does kind of follow that it's like th- this is not going to be interpreted well <laughs> you know well in their defense didn't you um make the point that a good reason to hold back reviews until launch or very close to launch is that then that's when the hype or the buzz can ignite and then people can go and start to buy immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And I do definitely stand by that. And you see a lot of games, you know, a lot of games, the embargo lifts, you know, midnight, the game, when the game comes out or, you know, like whenever the game comes out, that's when the reviews go live. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good plan like that from a marketing standpoint that allows people to see your review, go, okay, I'm going to buy it and click over from the review. Or, you know, if, if they happen to be out and about that day or whatever, they can just stop in and get the game. And so that's always good. But in this instance, they weren't sending out re- early review copies. So mm-hmm. people weren't getting to play the game until 
it was released in whatever zone it was released earliest, which happened to usually be Australia, I think. And so somebody in Australia for like the big outlets would grab the game and start playing it. And then you wouldn't get the review until a couple of days later because they have to play through the entire game, test it on a couple different platforms, make sure that nothing breaks, test out if there's an online component, test that out, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And then write up a review that's not a piece of trash because they had to rush through it you know like they they have to formulate their thoughts and you know format it in a system that's easy to read you know if i remember right um bethesda's policy then was essentially to bank on the previews or especially the control previews which were basically them sending or sending or inviting um the gamers that they or the streamers that they particularly liked so that they would get not necessarily so they would get positive previews but so they would get previews from people that were involved and engaged already um yeah which i'm not gonna i'm not gonna accuse that of being like slanted but i think that was the idea that people would have these opinions based on a starting amount of time so it didn't matter if through the full review wasn't out a launch day because you've got all these, uh, you know, connected previews from before. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that was a good idea, but yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem like it was. It seems like people actually want a properly thought out, formulated opinion of a game rather than a quick first impression. It's like first mm-hmm. impressions are fine when you have nothing else, mm-hmm. but that's never going to beat a proper review of something. Yeah. So. Although, nonetheless, I am enjoying some of the preview gameplay of The Evil Within Two at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> not, not that I'm going to buy it either way. But even if it came out with 99 review scores, I wouldn't buy it. But you know, I'm still enjoying being able to see yeah. it. Point. Um, I will say one thing that's sort of been nagging in the back of my mind. If for any mathematicians out there, um, when we said that we suspect its correlation. Um, I will stress that we suspect it's correlation. We don't know that it's causation, but we also suspect that it's causation. Mm-hmm. Just because yeah, I, there's a very right. important distinction. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things from a statistical standpoint. The correlation would be a measurable effect, whereas the causation, I think it's hard to argue against there being some cause to not having a review, not seeing coverage of a thing and then not buying a thing Mm. on a individual basis you know it's difficult to say because um first of all the their projections for how these games would have sold are themselves theoretical Mm. because you can know how well how well dishonored one sold but the sequel is going to sell a different amount no matter what um like it could be selling more because it's improved or it could be selling less because of sequel fatigue or you know like it's hard to say based on the reviews or the quality of the game even um but we're hoping that based on their projections and that they had taken this new policy and all their projections were now wrong by a certain margin in a like in a correlated way um then they had said hang on we need to try the first way again <laughs> So we're just hoping. Yep. All right. So it looks like uh, Assassin's Creed Origins is going to be getting difficulty settings. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is probably not entirely surprising, considering they did also reveal that there was going to be like an 
educational something or other and so you can explore the world of Assassin's Creed Origins without all the combat and timing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they are actually adding proper uh, difficulties to Assassin's Creed Origins. It's funny, so, uh, I didn't think of that earlier. When we mentioned that Explorer mode, we did talk about the low lowest level difficulty settings in other games mm-hmm. and yet we didn't realize that it's the first time an Assassin's Creed game has had a diff. Is is that not right? Assassin's Creed games have never had a difficulty setting before. No, there's never been a difficulty setting in an Assassin's Creed game, to my knowledge. Mm. Except for, I don't know, maybe there was one in one of the mobile games or something, but uh, I right. don't know. We don't, we haven't played this. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone but, uh, listening would understand. Even if they are fans of those games, they would understand. Yep. Um, I kind of, so, uh, the game director, Ashraf Ishmael, uh, said that some people play for historical context, some people for the narrative, some for the gameplay. And what we felt was by going deeper into the gameplay challenge of the game, we're feeding one part of the audience, but Mm -hmm. not others. So it was a natural step for us to think, well, let's give difficulty settings. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's obviously having difficulty settings in both directions would feed different parts of the audience, which is kind of neat. Um, I appreciate the way they were thinking about it. Um, and clearly they were thinking about it, not just in a historic context, but just the exploration too, you know, is obviously something they were thinking about if they've got like a, was it the discovery, whatever, um, program that they're going to be setting up. Mm -hmm. I mean, now that I think about it, if they made uh, the hard difficulties more interesting, then that would satisfy some of the more extreme Assassin's Creed fans. I mean, I'm thinking like the proper stealth games out there, like Dishonored and I mean, these are not full stealth games, but Dishonored and mm-hmm. Deus Ex are ones where you can have that scale. So things mm-hmm. like Metal Solids are more like proper stealth games, but with um, Dishonored and Deus Ex, you can kind of the more you, the more intense of a stealth fan you are, the more high stakes it is in terms of, like, you just can't get spotted. There's just like a blanket rule, you can't get spotted. And that kind of thing in Assassin's Creed, I mean, the reason why I'm comparing it is that never happens in Assassin's Creed. The only way right. they make that happen is a stupid gameplay mechanic where you insta-fail if you get spotted, and that's right. not the same. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, not only is it not the same, but it is literally, in that instance, removing something that could be interesting, Yeah, which is you've made a mistake, and rather than just starting you over and pretending like it never happened, having you deal with the consequences of that. Now Mm. you've got people chasing after you, and you can choose to fight, and you might die, or you can run away and try and find some place to hide and whatever. And, and, you know, this stuff was obviously intended to be part of the game since the very beginning, because you could hide and the bales of hay and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, realistically, the problem was, as you said, it was like, it was too easy. So you just like, you get seen and then you just kill 40 guys in a fight. And it was like (laughs) that, that was just kind of, there was no risk that you were going to die. There wasn't really a choice unless you were trying to avoid investing some amount of time or you had some other objective. This is really weird. I mean, I, I didn't connect the dots, but when you mentioned running and hiding in stacks of hay, um, I just remembered what I'd been playing this week and how it's actually 
not only very similar, but exactly similar to that. <laughs> um, so when we get to that, I want to talk more. I want to come back to that. Um, okay. But for now, Assassin's Creed getting, I mean, I counted and there's 10, this is the 10th major Assassin's Creed game. And, yep. you know, we've got, gone through nine games with them having this universal difficulty. Um, mm-hmm. And now on the 10th one, they're introducing it. So hopefully it goes well. And hopefully one of the things with difficulties is you have to implement it well. Hopefully it goes in well. Yeah, they were saying that it's not just going to be, oh, my God, people have extra health and it's going to change mechanics and and AI or what have you. But obviously everybody says that. So we'll have to actually see how well that happens. Yeah, I'm not really not really fond of AI. I'm. It's fair for AI to get easier on the easier difficulties, but for it to get harder on the harder difficulties, it's usually badly made. I've never seen it well made. Um, it's either well made in the base game, like in... I can't think of an example, but there are some games where the AI is really well made. You will put that in your normal difficulty if you've made it. If you've made it well, that's going in the normal difficulty. No one puts extra time and effort into making AI one of the hardest things to put in your game and only reserve it for the top difficulty. No one does that. <laughs> Yeah, the only instance where I can think of where difficulty was done really well in that regard was Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, Bungie did do a good job with uh, the higher level difficulty. Uh, the AI was actually smarter. Uh, they didn't just, you know, if you pop shields or whatever, they didn't just stand there and wait to die. Like as you started doing damage, they would run away intentionally and yeah, they would flank better and... Uh, like the hunters would interact better and things like that. So, but that's really like the only instance where I can be like ramping up the difficulty worked really well with the AI. It got mm-hmm. smarter, but it didn't become super powered. It did things better, but that's it. <laughs> I mean, I half agree with you. I think um, that game, well, the whole Halo series has had good AI, which is part of what made it very Absolutely. interesting from the beginning. Um, having these open areas and then having a sandbox that reacts to you. Um, but also, um, I see what you mean about flanking and retreating and things like that, but I f- feel like those things are probably in many of the difficulties rather than just on Legendary. Um, oh, yeah. They they did those things, I guess. Maybe it's more accurate to say they, they did them better and more mm. quickly. Yeah. Well, I feel like Legendary is largely... Maybe it's because I'm not someone who always solo runs legendary but i feel like legendary is largely about them spamming grenades at you so that's (laughs) well that's true yeah that that's one of the few areas where it kind of broke was the unlimited grenades that would just come at you for for minutes (laughs) yeah so all right so the next bit of news is going to be kind of a big one andrew house is stepping down as president of sony interactive entertainment and his deputy John Cotera, Cotera is taking over. So that's uh, that's something. <laughs> that's, I mean, Andrew House probably, even if you don't recognize the name, you probably have seen him at E3 and other presentations. Like, absolutely. Um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, PSX. Yeah, PSX. Uh, he was uh, the the main person on stage for when they revealed the PS4 Pro and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, so he uh, he's he's a pretty good guy. He's done some. Uh, 
he's, he's done a good job of leading as far as I can tell based on what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, though, if anything, it, you can kind of see where Sony was in the uh, Jack Trenton era. Mm-hmm. And then it started to head a little bit back to like the PS3 era with House. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, maybe they're heading in a different direction and that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I can't argue with the fact that we've got tons of great games coming down the pipeline, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with his decision-making and whatever, even if the tone of Sony has been maybe headed in the wrong direction lately. Mm. Oh, it's, it's really weird to look at dates and think about how long this film but, um So he took yeah. over as global president in 2011, which feels like five generations ago like ps1 days but it's not um that was still in the ps3 era um so he pretty much has headlined the ps4 era Mm. and like you said ps4 pro he was there and um now i suppose he said that because um playstation's achieved record-breaking success now's his time to go which I suppose is fair. I mean, they're pretty much, well, they're leading this generation, no question. Um, But in regards to what comes next, who replaces him um, and where we go, we're kind of past the generation and a half now. So whoever's taking over, probably much like him, it'll be just before a new generation. Um, So he'll probably shape that generation. He or she will probably shape that generation. and. For from the stance of people who play a lot of PlayStation consoles, um, probably will shape the next half decade or more. So it's yeah. quite important who takes over. Yeah, I mean, so realistically, you're looking at, um, so you know, the the next year or two is going to be whoever it is ushering in whatever Andrew House decided to do years ago so they're Mm going to finish that up but i mean if that person sticks around for five years that means that their impact is probably going to last eight because they're going to green light things that happen you know in year five and that stuff takes time to be researched developed produced put out all that so i mean they're they're looking whoever it is that they put replace him with in the long term, I, I don't know if um, John is going to be a long-term replacement or short-term, but... Uh, it, I'm sure he'll is, be officially promoted if he is going to oh, yeah. become long-term. Yeah, so it, it's going to be, whoever this person is, is going to be very, very important. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, just a real quick wrap-up, because destiny and i've been playing a lot of it uh i have called this our destiny corner i'm just gonna run through a couple of things i mean to be fair i had to stop you from putting in hints and tips about destiny in the podcast but (laughs) just kidding it's true Uh, i mean we know we know from experience um both as writers and as readers that a lot of sites become just front page 15 articles about destiny and destiny 2 uh now Mm -hmm. Um, whenever the game comes out, so yeah, uh, so most of this is actually not important. Um, 
so Dead Orbit won the the faction rally, and at this point, the thing that happened is over. But it was just worth noting that that ended. You, I don't think, can redeem any of the rewards at this point, anyways, because that just ended uh, the victory week. Just ended. So, mm-hmm. but make sure to keep an eye out for it because it's a great way to get gear. And then Iron Banner uh, began today, I believe, which is a competitive mode, but that's actually changed from what it used to be it used to be that iron banner took into account your level and so uh instead of evening things out so everybody was on a level playing field if you were a higher level you were more powerful than people you were playing against that's not actually the case anymore um they've made it just like a uh very competitive mode from what i understand so for the most part, it's still going to be kind of evened out, uh, but so it's not really my thing. But if you're interested, it's worth noting that it is different and you might want to read up on the differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, the uh, prestige difficulty for the raid has been delayed until next Wednesday, October 18th at 10, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. UK. So uh, that's kind of probably the most important thing that i just wanted to point out if you're wondering hey where the hell did it go it got Mm -hmm. delayed by a week because they are trying to uh sort out a an exploit that is in there um Mm. no you're just sticking to the actual news i appreciate that (laughs) yeah yeah i'm just gonna leave it at that i'm gonna talk about the game probably later anyways if i have anything else to add from that's that's also very welcome Yes. Yeah, and then we'll get really, really deep into it. But Yeah, but I don't want to know the fastest ways to get to level whatever it is. <laughs> well, the fastest way is to get the meter multi tool and then use oh, that. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so it's uh, time to get into the topic of the week. And I did tease last week that we were going to use a user submitted topic this week, um, which was which character would you be a good voice for? Uh, however, since Ace isn't here, I, I think we'll hold off on that so we can get Ace in here, because I'd love to know what he think, thinks he would be a good voice for. Uh, so instead, we're going to talk about something that just kind of was sparked, because I uh, basically Rich was saying that he, he's sick of loot crates, and it kind of got me thinking, I'm really sick of loot crates, too. And <laughs> Even beyond like the microtransaction thing, I'm just sick of loot crates in general. Mm-hmm. So that I was thinking was what we can talk about today, which is for me, f loot crates. I am Ugh. sick of them. Well, control f something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so- <laughs> control f the special drop that I want because the the other ninety nine I don't want. <laughs> yeah. Control f the best loot. Yeah. Uh, so, if you are not aware, loot crates are freaking everywhere right now, and unfortunately, they're usually tied to microtransactions, which which sucks. Uh, mm. So, um, however it happens to work, whether it be real-world money or in-game currency or just in general, the loot crate system is an external system outside of the actual gameplay itself, whereby you get these crates that have stuff in them and you don't know what they are and it's essentially a a sort of gamble as to whether or not you're going to get anything that you actually want out of it well Um, it's sometimes within the game and there it's more subtle but no less toxic well i don't mean 
as in in the game. I mean, in the actual gameplay. Like, oh, for I instance, see. when you kill something and it drops loot and you pick up the loot, that's part of the gameplay. We don't call that loot crate, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, Diablo has been doing this kind of thing for forever. But it's actually incorporated into the game. You're playing the game. You're getting rewards in the game. It's not, you know, like the engrams in Destiny. The the regular engrams are totally fine. No, I, I don't agree with you. But, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever you might may think of randomized loot and all that stuff. Mm. The, the loot crate system is not great. Uh, it's been, like, um, obviously you've got Overwatch's... Uh, probably the prime example from last year where you open something up you get four things pretty much all cosmetic of some form or another you know sometimes you get duplicates and you get money instead which you can use to buy other stuff um you've got uh shadow of war just released today it's got loot crates in it which you can i think buy with in-game currency or real world currency but i'm not sure how exactly that works Mm -hmm. um some games have it just uh what was it i just saw a game announced wwe i think has loot crates in it but it's all in game there's no like real world currency aspect to it okay it's just yeah uh, that which is nice we'll see how it actually works out (laughs) but personally to me the concept of loot crates doesn't work Mm -hmm. it's never satisfying it's almost always confusing and it disrupts the game so have you played gears of war 4 i've played some not online but have you received the crates in that no okay i i don't think i mean i was just playing literally through the story and if i got anything i didn't even bother to go open whatever it was I see. Well, I, I assume you can um, probably see the point. Um, in Gears of War 4, they have a card system for skills and for cosmetics. And when you want to get some, you have to open these boxes, which I assume are uh, coming under the definition of loot crates. This is where I'm a bit unclear on where you draw the line between loot crates and and I don't know what you'd call them if they're not loot crates. Um, loot small boxes chests <laughs> no chests are bigger than what are they I suppose it depends what kind know. of thing you're shipping but um, <laughs> if um, so to me the engrams in destiny were like single item loot crates and I, that's why I think they're bad too obviously you didn't pay real money for them but in destiny 2 you do pay real money to get things like colors and all kinds of stupid things from what i've heard um so where do you draw the line between what's sort of escaping the wrath of loot crates and what's part of the problem so um part of the thing with destiny at least is um so most of the engrams you pick up especially in destiny 2 they decode immediately. So you shoot a guy and Graham falls on the ground. You run over, you pick it up and it's like, Ooh, this is a helmet. This is, those are the stats. And so it acts just like loot in any other game. Uh When the, the few instances where you get an engram that is higher level, like a legendary or something, uh, 
it, you you get this thing and it's like, ooh, this one is particularly powerful. So you have to take it to somebody to get it decoded. When you pick it up, what it is is already set. And then you just take it to a person and they you know, decrypt it. It's like get, uh, getting – it's I, sort of item appraisal in a way um, mm-hmm. in, in, you know – old rpgs you go there and they're like oh this is they scrub it off and suddenly a helmet appears and Mm -hmm. these are the stats it was already set when you picked it up it didn't change uh and usually you can just do this very quickly on your way to go do other things so it's like you you go to the social hub and you're going to stop by various vendors or whatever and this is just one of the vendors you just stop by you click on the engram they tell you what it is Right, I did put in over a hundred hours into the first Destiny, so I am familiar with the uh, the right. gambling addiction. Okay, okay. So it so in the it, now you you can't actually buy the engrams like you used to. You just mm-hmm. well, actually, I guess you can. You, you still buy items. Um, I don't really see it as quite the same thing. It it doesn't really break the game as for instance like gears of war i'm going to imagine it's a menu option somewhere where you yeah, open these things I up. See yeah right and that breaks the flow of the gameplay whereas going to see the cryptarch i feel like is an event where it's mm-hmm. like ooh, let's see what i got okay uh, and, yeah and actually I, I, I think that's a good line yeah and so I, I think that adds a little bit of mystery to what it is you're getting, and it's a little bit more of an event. Uh, but, you know, and, and there is obviously when the first one came out, people were having issues with the idea that they're going and unlocking these things, and sometimes they're just utter crap. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of breaking the system. And that is still a problem, but I, I don't think it's nearly as much of a problem as a system where you actually have to come out of the game or access a menu or whatever and to, to actually make the system work. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So just, um, sorry, did you want to finish? Oh, no, no, you could. So I was going to just say, um, in passing on that destiny, uh, situation, well, destiny one, um, the whole reason why it was horrible was because it was, um, just this gambling trap. I don't know if we've discussed it before, but this gambling trap of giving you junk, like you say, it's set when you get it. It's just junk. But you think it's not junk because you, you can't see that it's junk. So yeah. you're holding on to it for 10 minutes or whatever until you get back, thinking you've got something, when actually you have nothing. Oh, yeah. it's like you're, you've closed your hand, and yeah. you're thinking there's money in your hand, but it's an empty hand, and you can't see it for a while. Um, mm. But you keep... When you look um, and see that it's junk, you think, well, the next one will be good. So you go and follow into the same trap again. Right. Um, so, so Destiny 2 does does the system a whole lot better because it used to be that the blue engrams, which you get tons of, mm-hmm. also didn't decode in the first one. Whereas in the second one, all of those decode automatically and legendary engrams are fairly rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and in some instances, I think... You can actually, they decode automatically, but I'm not sure. Uh, so it's not as much of a chore. It's mm. like you don't always go and stop at the Cryptarch. It's not constantly people at the Cryptarch getting stuff. Once mm. in a while, you go to the Cryptarch and you 
decrypt whatever it is that you happen to get. So I, in a lot of ways, I think that helps that, um, that feeling that you've got a bunch of nothing. You're mm-hmm. not going to the cryptarch unless you've got a legendary engram. So you're getting something. And even if it's not great, you break it down, you get legendary shards, which you can use to improve your other gear. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is they don't go into your inventory anymore. So it used to be if you got a helmet engram that sat in your inventory and took up space until you went to the cryptarch to decrypt it. And that yeah. doesn't happen anymore. They've got a separate spot f- for like 10 engrams or whatever. And so they go directly into that spot and they just sit there until you go fill them out. You you don't have to go do it to empty out your inventory so you can actually use stuff. Mm. So, so from a perspective, they've actually cleaned it up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so that's better. I mean, more likely that you'll get something good. But at the same time, why are any of them sort of still needing to be encode, like decoded when you could just have a Borderlands style? Borderlands, like from the very first Borderlands, you look at something, you pointed it, you haven't even picked it up yet, pointed it on the floor, you can see exactly its stats, exactly how it compares to what you've currently got equipped, and within a split second, like, well, maybe not a split second, but within a few seconds, you can decide whether this is an upgrade or a downgrade and then you can throw it straight into junk or you can just put it in your inventory and Um, and i'm going to guess from from your asking that you probably already know the answer which is hmm. that it it's to artificially inflate the value yeah it's it's to make people feel like there's something more valuable because it's not just you know making an event of it it is you go to the tower and you decrypt a, a legendary engram and when you do Everybody that's in the social space gets a little thing that says so and so found whatever the item is. You know, that's so just good. Yeah, and I mean it's been like that since Destiny One. But the yeah, idea didn't is, they say that for the legendary drops and stuff that you got. Well, yeah, but you don't encrypt anything under a legendary now. Hmm. So no, I meant time, um, in Destiny One, whenever like a Galahorn drops and you get it, and like it tells everyone just to make them jealous. Oh yeah, uh, the exotic uh, exotic items don't yeah. decrypt automatically anymore. You just you get an engram which uh. you take to the cryptarch. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's also happens to be the case. Yeah, it used to be if you got a galhorn at the end of the raid or whatever, everybody would find out that you got a galhorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, and, and that does that that exists to manipulate your perception of things and, and inflate the value and that is kind of gross but then again there's also uh, i mean i imagine you may have seen the uh, twitter thread was it maybe three weeks ago where no. they were talking about all of the game dev tricks of how they sort of manipulate your perception of things to make games more engaging or user friendly or whatever um and i'm not necessarily against that um the there is an inherent problem i think with uh games based on loot i enjoy them but it is designed to inherently tap into a sort of gambling thing um and if i remember correctly i think danny o'dwyer when he was at GameSpot, did a video about that uh, so mm. you may want to check into that i remember there was a very good i can't remember if it was an article or a video these days but um there was a very good piece on destiny one's gambling trap explaining it and detailing it um 
but the reason why I compared that is because is that not the same conceit behind loot boxes? The whole idea that you've got a box and you don't know what's in it, but whatever's in it is going to be amazing, even though it's not. Sort of. Um, so part of what Destiny is is the loot. It's kind mm-hmm. of like uh, it's kind of like Diablo in that respect. So yeah. it's incorporated into the game in a way that is actually part of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for the problem of loot boxes in general. Well, that's what I was. I, it's not inherently different. Okay. To to be clear, it is not inherently different from these other systems, except that it is worked into the game rather than being a separate system. However. In a lot of instances, it's like uh, Shadow of War is like, I'm trying to wrap my head around the stealth and the combat mechanics and the nemesis system and whatever else. And then it's not like, to mention the extremely complex lore. Uh, yeah, I know, right? And, and then they're like, oh, and loot crates. And I'm like, I don't have the time for this. Like, I'm trying to master these other systems, whereas that is worked into Destiny. That's actually part of the game is learning what the various stats of the item mean and all that kind of stuff. Um, so and, tell us about how loot crates work in Shadow of War. I honestly have no idea. Um, and it may be very smooth. Mm-hmm. It's just a, like, whatever game, the the system, if I have to learn another system on top of everything else, then it's just kind of a distraction. Yeah. Whereas obviously in destiny it's not a distraction because it's part of the game i mean i for one really hate it when uh games that are kind of in the rpg rpg genre especially the slightly mmo rpg games have just a ridiculous amount of currencies and oh, yeah. you just kind of got to keep track of because you've got these central currencies like say the dollars currency and then you've got yeah. like the online currency and the special premium currency and all these things. And then especially when they put in new content, they add new types of currency for that. And oh, it just infuriates me so much. Just and make Destiny, your currencies Destiny focused. Has that has that problem, um, mm. but not in the way that you would necessarily expect because destiny two has sort of stream streamlined it. You've got your glimmer, which is essentially your cash. You've got mm-hmm. legendary shards, which are like, powerful magical artifacts in this context and then there's the bright dust that is used for the microtransaction like store so you don't use it to buy the loot crates so to speak but there's like a selection of items you can use that you can use bright dust for and you get the bright dust out of the loot crates that you you can also get them when you level up um, which does not solve the problem. Uh, but it, you can open the loot crate and find some of this dust, or when you break down any of the items, you get some of the, this bright dust. But even then, I'm not entirely sure how it works. Like, for instance, I don't know if it works when you break down a, a, an emote or stuff like that. So it's like, I don't even then really understand it. Um, but where Destiny does have that problem is... Every single planet now has its own currency that you can use at a vendor on that planet to buy mm-hmm. stuff. And so, like, 
I've got like five different colored coins in my inventory. Now, these don't show up like when in my normal character sheet, I have to go into my inventory and then I go into the inventory and there's a section where all of my stuff is and there's like five different colored coins mixed in there. And I don't remember which one is which. And it's like, well, take the one that's next to the kitchen sink. Yeah, right. Uh, So it's. It does have that problem. And I'm not saying that Destiny's system is necessarily good. That's, I think, kind of up to each person to decide. I I don't think it's necessarily a great system. I, I, you know, I've played tons and tons and tons of Halo, and it's mostly those mechanics, which is kind of why I enjoy it. I like running around and playing my space RPG and the loot is kind of incidental to that. Um, mm-hmm. So I will probably end up stop playing it soon because I've kind of hit the end of the game in that respect. I don't even feel mm-hmm. like necessarily leveling my character all the way up. And I sure as heck am not interested in getting all the best gear in the world. So, but so I do in- think it's slightly better than the rest of the loot crates. <laughs> Mm. Well, mostly because it doesn't break up the game itself yeah that's what i'm wondering about the other ones in overwatch don't they reward you the crates after matches and you just kind of open them up when you level up um okay and just just another thing that sort of popped into my mind they the engrams in destiny are used to draw you back to social spaces so yeah. it is not purely a reinforcing the behavior it is actually a method by which you meet people and mm-hmm. can go on you know missions or whatever so there is that aspect mm-hmm. of it too which other games generally don't because loot crates tend to be in games like overwatch there's no social thing around the loot crates that yeah. get people going um, but so uh, the way it works for overwatch is you get loot crates when you level up um, which starts to really spread out. Um, and so it can take forever to get loot crates. And realistically, mm-hmm. I found that it detracted from the game uh, because, like with Halo, I played tons and tons of competitive Halo. But I felt like after a little while, I was being incentivized to play for these loot crates that I wasn't interested in. And so it was distracting me from playing the game and then i was like well here i am all of a sudden feeling like i should be chasing these things that i'm not interested in and that's actually where it ended up losing me i stopped playing because i didn't want to go for the loot crates anymore and i just had other games to play um and in a lot of instances you have loot crates that are similarly i think distracting like it's taking you out of whatever game it is and putting you in this menu so that you can open the things um mass effect had loot crates it was actually if i remember not even a great system because it was like you had to come out of the single player go into the multiplayer portion which meant that you had to like log into that and then it had to load a separate system and then you could open the loot crates it was just it took that andromeda yeah Okay. And it was just it was just kind of 
a bit much. And some of the stuff that you got did transfer back into the single player game. And I wasn't even against the stuff that was in there. It was just a pain in the ass to do. And it took me out of the game. I mean, with Mass Effect, ever since Mass Effect 2, they have kind of trying to they have been kind of trying to get you out of the game in terms of thinking about broader things and EA oh, yeah. and Bioware and how your engagement is and all that. But Yeah, which is, which is dumb because Mass Effect is, I mean, part of the appeal is that it's such an in, sort of engrossing atmospheric world that they've built, you know? And so, like, I think they me lost off, that. Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, they forgot that that's their key asset and they started to make other things their key asset. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think in Mass Effect 3, you can kind of see, like, they hadn't... I, I think uh, Bioware Prime clearly had the clout to just be like, well, this multiplayer is going to be a separate system and, you know, it, it'll have minor influences, but you don't need to be involved in it at all. And then the people that made Andromeda didn't have the clout to be like, no, that's not how it's going to work and make a consistent thing. So, like, Mass Effect 3 had a consistent story because it was part of a trilogy and it had to be this way. And so they made that thing and that part of it was still really enjoyable for what it was. But then like you get to Andromeda and the gamification of that game is so intense that it breaks that immersion. And that's kind of where it fell apart. And part of that was the integration of the loot crate system and even the sending people on missions and whatever that just got all of it got in the way of playing that game. Mm. Uh, so the only game I can think of, I mean, I'm sure I've played a lot of games with loot crates, but the only one I can think of that's relatively recent or current is Rocket League, and mm-hmm. that being on PS4, of course. Yeah. Um. So I'd imagine a lot of people have played it. Probably most people listening have played it because it was a PS Plus game at the time, and it it was extremely popular yeah. at the time. Um, the base trophy list with a platinum was very achievable, so it was great mm-hmm. for all the trophy hunters. Um, the downside is what came after that. Uh, so many yeah. so many paid DLCs with trophies, that's a problem, and very, very occasional free trophies, uh, which were mixed bags, some easy and some incredibly difficult or grindy. Um, and this all ties into loot boxes because one of the updates after release they introduced loot boxes in a way to try and make ongoing money from the game because there wasn't any income other than sales mm. and uh, DLCs actually now that I think about it there was plenty of income from those things but yeah, um, so many paid DLCs but um, they wanted more income uh, which I suppose is fair-ish mm-hmm. um and so they started to have... I think it began with three loot boxes, is that correct? Um, then there were paid keys to unlock. Uh, I have I no know. idea. The The base game, as I remember it, was fairly simple in that you hit a win threshold and you got an item. Uh, even though yeah. it seemed kind of loot crate-y, I think it was actually sort of defined. Um, well, in the base game, sure. if I remember right, Every time you finished a match, no matter win or loss, mm-hmm. you got one item 
and it just gave it to you straight. There was no like box to open or anything. It just gives you an item and says, right, time for the next match. And then you go in. Exactly. And that, that worked fairly well. It was like, oh, you finished a match, whether you win or lost, I think. Right. And it was just like, yeah. here you go. Here's the thing. Yeah. Like, oh, have a freebie. Cool. And then you hit another button and boom, you're playing again. So it's like not getting in the way. It's very smooth. It just, it's, you know, like part of the end result screen here, here's the thing you, you got for playing this match. Uh, and you I didn't have to think about it because it would just right. be given to you. And it was one of many, mm-hmm. all cosmetic at the time. Yep. And just, um, you know, I think they're still cosmetic to be fair, but. Yeah. Now you have to think about them because not only um, do you need certain things, um, I think, yeah, you need certain ones for trophies. You need a painted item and a a certified item or whatever. And then you have to think, when you're playing the game, you have to think about which items you have. You have to equip the right ones and do certain tasks um, in order to get these horrifically grindy trophies. And the whole loot system went from rewarding to punishing and painful mm-hmm. so i don't know if that's a commentary yeah. and loot boxes or loot in general but and, and i guess it's kind of a, a perfect illustration of you know i'm not even really against the concept of loot crates if it's done all right mm-hmm. but in in a system where like there's so many items that the odds of getting the thing you want are so low which is the intention like usually loot crates are designed that way so that you never know if you're going to get the thing that you want, but you'll keep playing to try and get the thing you want, you know? And so, it, like, Overwatch, there's just so many skins and paints and all that crap, and a lot of it probably doesn't even mean anything to you. Um, mm. And then, like, with Rocket League, it's, you know, it becomes a, a bit of a chore, and that is getting in the way when it's nice and smooth and it's integrated into the game and you just you go and you play a match you get a thing that's cool you know it's like that at least is kind of nice but once it gets too cumbersome and you're you're like trying to keep track of too much information then it's just a pain (laughs) yeah well it's gone from the main problem is i mean you basically just described it it became infinite which is a bad thing for uh, something that you need if it's something that you don't need fine i guess um but the base drops in rocket league were finite mm-hmm. and i think there was a trophy for getting all of them fine i'll do it i'll play like 300 matches or whatever you want yeah i'll do it and because there's a goal in sight whereas now like five thousand matches i'll probably have to play and still not get the get the hundred percent so no thanks mm-hmm. um yeah, it's a problem. That's the problem with loot boxes, especially ones that require a currency. Yeah, there's just no end in sight. And and that's, that's the problem. And that's not even getting into microtransactions because there's a whole another level of just grossness that is getting items, especially consumable items, in loot crates at random when you've spent money on them. It's just like oh, that's just nasty. But that's bad. I, I don't think I mean, that, a topical. That's yeah. a topical one because I don't think they're loot crates but very closely related subject um battle star wars battle what is it battlefront 2 yes um that's got these like special random cards that you can buy mm-hmm. i'm not sure when you buy it, it might not be random but when you play i think you get them randomly yeah. um 
and this is like emerging news because the game's obviously not out yet and it's not been reviewed yet finalized or whatever um, yeah. yeah but um based on uh beta play um people have been saying that it's very very dangerous where it is now because yeah. of this random system and the microtransactions that go with it and so uh yeah we'll um, watch this space over the coming weeks yeah we'll we'll probably get back into that when we have more information because obviously right now it's in beta and if it's not going to make it into the final game it's probably not worth talking about but at the moment it's looking like there are actual pay to win mechanics in there in that Mm -hmm. you have distinct advantages even if consumable distinct advantages over other players if you spend money to get these items so in a shooter yeah in a in a shooter it's like that kind of stuff would not fly in just about anything else except for star wars (laughs) you know (laughs) and it may not fly in this like i could see where people can get really upset and we'll see how that goes because i mean nobody likes just dying all the time and then next time people aren't going to buy the game because they think they're bad at it and they're just going to die all the time or whatever it happens to be even if that's not actually what's happening right it's just you know (laughs) this is probably i think going to hurt them in the long run but anyways that's an entirely another topic about pay to win mechanics and microtransactions but uh, just peppering that in there with the microtransactions i mean it's it's connected it's all tied together so it's worth mentioning real quick but uh for right now i just people are not doing loot crates particularly well at all and my god can we just please stop for a little bit figure out how to make it work for your game (laughs) and no no i take that back just don't do it. If you're not 100% sure that it makes sense for your game, it probably doesn't, and don't do it. I would say if your game has a price tag, then don't put loot crates in it. Just like a blanket rule. Follow that golden rule, mm. and you'll be fine. Yes. Find some better way of doing it. If you think that it really needs to be in there, Diablo's been doing it great for a while. You kill a thing, stuff comes out. So yeah. if you can't come up with loot boxes are a worse version of that so exactly don't do a worse version of a a thing that's been going for 20 years (laughs) yeah all right so with the ranting out of the way it's time for popular trophies hey hey all right (laughs) i'm glad you did it because ace isn't here to do it Uh, (laughs) his his excitement was uh transplanted yeah yeah you borrowed it just for that moment uh so uh this is the popular trophies the top 50 uh for october 10th 2017 um so the list is quite different as you might expect because hey hey uh ps plus for the next month has taken effect so it's only been a week though right yeah yeah um so the the list has changed quite dramatically four items were bumped from the list uh pinball fx3 um senrin kagura peach beach splash danganronpa v3 killing harmony and infamous second son have all been bumped from the list uh but it's okay because the new list is quite large and there's a lot on here so there's no shortage at all coming in at number eight we've got monster jam battlegrounds at spot 44 got some skills 179 wins there are no other trophies this is another this is a ps plus free game this month and it is a new entry uh i haven't played it so (laughs) edging in there 
Yeah, it's right in at the bottom. It's the only one. Uh, but it's not the only thing that sort of snuck onto the list. But we'll get to that. Uh, down quite considerably from last week, down from spot number eight is FIFA 18 at spot 28. Wait, no, that's not right. Down from spot one. It was spot number one last time. Bad copy and paste. So FIFA 18 is at spot 28 right now with Golo, which is the same trophy as last time, with 212 wins plus seven other trophies. Uh, so that's, that's not bad. It was uh, 885 wins, I think, last week. <clears throat> so it's still firmly hanging in there. It's good that uh, it hasn't dominated the charts forever like it seems to dominate yeah. the news. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then f- coming in at spot number 22, uh, it's another new entry on another PS Plus game. It's Amnesia Collection with Nope at 236 wins, no other trophies. So this one sort of, I, I would say, snuck in. Even though it's still in the top half of the chart, it's the only trophy in the list. So, Isn't that kind of hilarious, though? I mean, the first... Oh, sorry. The first trophy in the game and the only trophy to get a vast majority of wins mm-hmm. is the one nope where basically people played the game yeah they figured it out and then they were like nope no more i'm not playing this anymore that's it i'm done uh, bye okay thanks I'm playing it. I, Different I would, game. I would love it and unfortunately it can't happen but it'd be great if like you know how some some games have a trophy where it's like uh play the game and then come back in a week and play the game again you know, without uh-huh. playing in between or something. It'd be great if this trophy unlocked because you played the game and then a week later you still hadn't played the game. <laughs> Actually, There'd be no way um, for it to trigger, but I think that would be pretty funny. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that, yeah, there are some... Uh, that's fair. Um, I don't actually know how this trophy unlocks. The description for it is, left when things were getting interesting in Amnesia, the Dark Descent. So maybe it is for people actually physically quitting. Maybe. I can't tell. But, yeah, that would yeah, be right in if you know. But yeah, it's probably. Yes. I mean, they could make that work, right? After a certain quest flag or something, as long as you yeah. quit out at any point after that, it would. Mm. Who, who knows? That is. It could the it, most. Yeah, it could be a story thing where you actually left a place because things got crazy. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just hilarious, though. <laughs> We've got another new entry at spot 16. This one is not a PS Plus free game, which is nice to see. Uh, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. It begins 265 trophies and 10 others. So it's good to see a uh, fresh retail non-PS Plus game actually doing pretty well. 11 trophies total. Isn't this just the P- a PS4 port of it is. the same edition that they released on PS3? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. So it's like some people were obviously fans and ended up buying it. If it was a new release, I don't know if that would have helped it. <laughs> like if it if it was not a port, uh, mm-hmm. just because it's not like it's got the uh, biggest name ever. So yeah, well, interesting. I've seen it getting some like uh, some plays mm-hmm. of the past week, so that's nice. Yeah, people. people I, definitely- I kind of thought it'd gone under the rug a bit, but yeah. Uh, some people definitely like it a lot. So, 
finally, so we've got down from spot number eight. We've got Destiny 2 at spot 15, Belly of the Beast, 270 wins plus six others. Uh, kind of an interesting entry because Belly of the Beast is for completing the raid. So huh. that's actually kind of a very high-end trophy to be getting. Uh, well, didn't you say that there are not many trophies for yeah. the majority of the story? Uh, there's only t- 12 trophies in the entire game. I right. think, sorry, 14 trophies. Uh, so there's not a lot of trophies at all, and almost all of it is endgame content. Uh, uh-huh. It's just, with that said, it's interesting that a large number of people were so focused on a particular item. You know, was mm-hmm. this? Uh, this is actually a month, right? Uh, the, the raids came out, I think, on September 13th. So it's been about a month since the raid itself came out. Hmm. Yeah. I guess that's where we're at now with uh, the player base. That's good. Yeah, a lot I of mean, people getting there. Yeah, everybody is sort of progressed to the same point, or maybe even are particularly interested because the prestige mode is coming and they're trying to get into the swing of things. I don't know. Yeah. All right, uh, we've got a new, another new entry. Surprise, surprise. Uh, this one is another PS Plus free game. It's Sky Sky Force Anniversary at spot six. The trophy is It Wasn't Me, 523 wins plus four others. All right. Wow, that that got unexpected popularity. Yeah, I, I didn't really expect that one to be quite so big. It was pretty <laughs> much at the bottom of my list, everything else considered. Twice as many plays as Amnesia's first trophy. Yeah, right. And then the second trophy... Sorry, second game on the list, because I have not actually been numbering these. Eight, so there's eight on the list. This is the second one. See? God damn it. Ace, where are you? Uh, uh, you need practice, son. <laughs> yeah. So this is another PS Plus free game. I'm, I marked it as a new entry, but I am like 99% sure it was on the list at some point. Uh, it's, no, I don't uh, think we had the um, Plus games last week, did we? We had the previous month's Plus games. No, 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 I know. I'm just saying, it's Metal Gear oh. Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. I'm sure it was on the top 50 at some point. In fact, oh, when it released at retail. In fact, I'm fairly certain that we've had it on the list at some point while we were doing the podcast, and I can't remember why. Um, I think it might have... You can't oh, you remember why. I mean, we've had like 50 episodes, so that's actually, probably why. It probably wasn't this. It was probably Ground Zeroes, because Ground Zeroes was a PS Plus at one point. So uh, I see. that's probably how this ended up... So I'm getting confused, but it was almost certainly at the, on the top 50, but I'm just going to mark it as a new entry. Uh, so the trophy is Awakening, 620 wins and six other trophies. And then coming in at spot number one, you have Hugh. Go low. Oh, no, that's not the trophy name. Crap. <laughs> that's a different one. That's a different one. I forgot to change I the thing. The trophy is Aqua Cadabra. With 620 wins and nine other trophies. Also a PS Plus free game and it's a new entry. I ended up mm. putting that name. I remember typing it out too, but I put it on the wrong sheet. Not on this one. Uh, See, that, that's what happened. So, so uh, somewhere in our history list, there is a uh, FIFA 18 that unlocked Aqua Cadabra or whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. 
So those are our top 50 trophies for October 10th, 2017. Um, Coming up this week for the drop, we've got uh, Shadow of War came out today. Uh, Evil Within 2 is coming out on Friday. Uh, I saw there was uh, Raiden 5, the the director's cut. I'm not sure how that gets a director's cut, but whatever. Okay. Uh, That came out. So I think those are all pretty solid I, I loved the raiden games or raiden games back in the day uh, what are they about they are uh or at least were historically uh so it was a bottom to top vertical scrolling game sort of like um galaga uh-huh. uh but instead of space stuff it was like super powered like amazing jets like japanese jets with like laser cannons and all sorts of weird stuff fighting flying fortresses it's like imagine if you took um oh my god what's what's the the game the namco the bandai namco ace combat it's like if you took ace combat made it super futuristic and put lasers on all the planes and turned that into a galaga style game that's what raiden is cool all right. <laughs> yeah. Enjoyable game. I I enjoyed playing it in arcades back in the day. And then um, there is one game that I'm going to point out because, oh my God, really? So there's Raid World War II. And the description, this is the entire description of the game. Raid World War II is an action-packed, tactical, four-player cooperative shooter set during World War II. I mean, I had a little look into it. It looks all right, I see. Um, yeah, it's just I mean, that it's not competing on a AAA level, um, to put it kindly. And yeah, so and, it's a little bit of a shame that they would release this near to Call of Duty World War II, which is obviously know, right? AAA to the highest degree. Yeah. Um, but they probably have been making it for a time, and they realize either we can get it out now and hope for some attention, or we can release it after everyone is already playing Call of Duty and mm-hmm. have a problem. Yeah, whatever it happens to be, I was just kind of... It was kind of depressing reading the description. It was probably the shortest description in the entire drop list, <laughs> and the the drop list included uh, all sorts of just wacky games that nobody would really pay attention to. <laughs> There's... Uh, where was it? Miko Gaikau Monogatari. Right. <laughs> That's only part of the title. I'm just, I'm already doing a terrible job. Monogatari you know, meaning uh, story or tale. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. It's it's a, actually, it's some kind of episodic something or other. Uh, but it's like, you know, it's actually kind of a paragraph description. And it doesn't really even tell you how the game plays. But it tells you something about the story, at least, you know, whereas literally that game just says it tells you what the genre is and calls it a day. Maybe because um, a certain tactical four player cooperative shooter sold extremely well this year, back at the start of the year. I don't know if you remember a certain Wildlands game. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It did. <laughs> Recon. Uh, I keep forgetting about it because I never played it, and I never I never thought anybody would play it, except that it sold crap so and somebody is clearly well. playing it. So then they kind of tap into this because that description yeah. is basically the same, except – so basically they should have just said – well, except for copyright reasons, they would have said Ghost Recon Wildlands, except set in World War Two. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, uh, any – any final thoughts on our popular trophies before we move on? Let's go on to uh, what we've been playing. Yeah, I think it's time for that. Yeah, so uh, what you've been playing? Oh, should I go first? Yeah, you're, you're starting. Um, probably better not take too much time on some of these. The first thing I played, well, the first thing I completed this week was Bentley's Hack Pack, which is the spin-off for a Sly Cooper series. Well, not really a spin-off, oh, okay. a side game, I guess. Um, it comes right between the third game and the fourth. Well, maybe not right between, but it comes around the fourth game. Um, yeah. And like the fourth game, it was released both on Vita and PS3. And uh, unlike the fourth game, it wasn't well made for both Vita and PS3. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. Unfortunately, the Vita game... Well, it's well made, I suppose, but the um, touch uh, sensitivity um, or the level of control you get with the touch. uh, No, sorry, not touch. I mean tilt. uh, The level of control Uh you get with the tilt is uh, not quite good enough for the level of precision you need. So it makes it Mm. basically impossible to complete on Vita. Not impossible, but really, really frustrating to complete on Vita. So... Given that it's crossed by, if you for some reason want to play this game, uh, that being Bentley's Hat Pack, I would recommend only play it on PS3 because it doesn't have cross save. So you would waste so many hours, 90% completing it on Vita, only to have to start again on PS3. Um, but not a bad game. Because you smashed your Vita into a million pieces <laughs> in frustration. Well, it's very probable, actually. Um, that's unfortunate yeah because you might get to the last stage and you just can't do it you just physically can't do it and then you have to start all over Um, but it's not a bad game Um, the other thing I played was uh, Final Fantasy XV which as we know is a fairly popular game between us Um, yeah but I'm going to talk about free content this week Um, woo so they've released another patch. This is also timely. Um, they've released another patch which added chapter 12, well, modified chapter 12 um, to include new scenes, new cutscenes, um, and slight reordering of the scenes in chapter 12. So, again, I'm going to avoid spoiling, um, but it's there's a sort of a confrontation and a revelation in chapter 12 and that scene is altered to play out quite differently because um not only does the revelation come with the chance to ask questions uh which helps a lot uh but it also changes the cutscenes that follow and precede it to make them much more emotionally impactful and i played it obviously like i say i played it again um, and I think it is much improved. So it will mostly affect people playing the game for the first time. But looking back, anyone who's playing through Final Fantasy XV now 
will have a better experience than any of us that played it um, before. And I think that's nice for a free change. Yeah. So my my only real question. So I had issues with chapter thirteen. Not terrible issues, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of people had issues, and I think that they ended up trying to rectify those issues after the fact. Yes. But I think in some ways that was just a, a not accounting for taste thing. I don't think that that was necessarily just a gaping hole of a problem. Whereas if I remember correctly, chapter 12 was a very short chapter. Well, quite. Yeah. And I replayed so, it and captured my time. So I don't think that the changes that they made to chapter 13 should have been in the initial release just because they were reacting, literally reacting to player feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but should this, does this feel like it really should have been part of the core game? Well, it's because they haven't really changed the gameplay. They've mm-hmm. changed the scene. So essentially the story. And I think yeah. um, it's probably fairly common knowledge now that um, one of the things that most fell short with Final Fantasy fifteen was the story in the latter half. Um yeah. and people would largely like to see that improved. Um and so that's really what it's addressing here. Only one scene. Um but they have in many ways improved it, I think. So in terms of whether it should have been in I mean, whether it's the kind of thing that should have been there from the start. Um I'm trying to phrase this in the right way. It's not that yeah. They've made a mistake by not including it. They kind of have, but um, yes. we are better off for having it now. We're practicing what was there before. If that, that's yes. what you're asking, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that it's um, significant enough and it's definitely a good addition. And, mm-hmm. you know, good additions are made to games all the time. Um, but that doesn't necessarily... It's more of a story thing. It's like from a, a narrative standpoint, it that particular part seemed like it should have obviously been a problem and needed more work and should have been fixed before the game came out so that the story was complete. You know what I mean? Are you talking about chapter 13? 12. 12. Um, I don't know if it wasn't so much a problem as it was less than polished uh not polished even i'd say it's improved now of what it was before before it was fine i enjoyed it the first time uh but now um they've improved it to show more of an emotional um connection with uh the co-star and also a little bit less shell shell shock for the protagonist and therefore the player um so that you can sort of digest what's happening around you with the the major events are happening. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. I, so I, I, I was just... played. Sorry, just um, to put that chapter twelve in context. I played both chapter eleven and twelve in about in less than one and a half hours. Um, okay. So that was a good way for me to catch up on where we are. Did they? Didn't they add uh, some kind of chapter? So not chapter select, but like the ability to access those chapters in the game or something. They did. The reason I played chapter 11 is because chapter 11 or more specifically the end of chapter 11 sets up episode prompto, which I played last week. I think I talked about last week. Um, And I didn't really understand how we got into that episode prompto situation. So I wanted to play that chapter again and see how we got there. Yep. 
but yeah, so I, I think that's pretty cool too. Um, and then you were talking about, uh, assassins. Oh yes. Uh, the other thing, the other free update in Final Fantasy 15, maybe I should have led this with this one because it's much, much, much bigger. <laughs> um, <laughs> the assassins festival in Final Fantasy 15. And if you've started to fall asleep, please wake up because this is the, the really interesting part. Um, the if you're falling assassins... asleep at an Assassin's Festival, you've got a problem. Well, not for very long once <laughs> I'm done with you. Um, but uh, the Assassin's Festival is the crossover with Assassin's Creed. And this is what I was thinking of earlier with the haystacks. Um, and I completely forgot that I played this during the weeks. But when you talked about running away from dangerous enemies and hiding in haystacks, I was thinking of this because um, the way that it works in the Assassin's Festival is you've don't really have the same powers that you normally do. Um, and so when an enemy discovers you, you do have to run away, like in the old Assassin's Creed games, and you have to find a haystack and hide in it, and you have to, like, go around a corner and find a haystack that's not directly in front of someone, you know? So you can't just go and jump in the nearest haystack and wait it out. You have to actually go and get out of sight and then hide. Um, so it does really evoke that feeling of... Um, needing to think after things have gone wrong, as you were describing, like you've yeah. got the option to do it stealth and never have to hide. But then, if things start to go wrong, then you can either well, actually, you can't fight them here, um, but you you can salvage it. You can either just like give up and die, or you can try and salvage it in that way. Um, but anyway, the content of the Assassins Festival um, it's much like the Chocobo Carnival which hopefully a lot of people played. Um, it's a whole new area. Well, it's not exactly new area. It's um, the city of Lestalem, uh, oh, but yeah, yeah. completely redesigned, not rebuilt, but redesigned. And um, the gameplay mechanics are largely changed. Uh, it's filled with people and decorations. And... Um, for most of the DLC, you can explore the town, which, well, the city, which suddenly feels huge. Um, I don't know how, but it's suddenly big and interesting to explore. And there's loads of things to do in it. And the gameplay of sneaking up on um, the enemies and assassinating them. And you can do aerial assassinations. You can do assassinations from haystacks and all kinds of things which are not exactly Assassin's Creed mechanics but they're definitely strong tributes to Assassin's Creed mechanics which we've never had in a Final Fantasy game before makes it like such an interesting taster of what could be in yeah. both series yeah it's a it's always nice one so this could have been just kind of a dumb little cash in thing you know yeah. trying to bolster Assassin's Creed stuff and just kind of been, you know, half-assed. But it's nice that they put proper effort into it mm -hmm. and even figured out how to sort of make a proper Assassin's Creed within the confines of Final Fantasy. And even more so, it's kind of impressive that they managed to make it work. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it takes it takes a lot of effort to change the fundamental gameplay of how something works. Like, obviously... It's not a stealth game all of a sudden that just acts like Assassin's Creed, but even just having, you know, like the 
chase and awareness mechanics and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure was actually <laughs> quite oh, laborious. It's so, uh, it's so good. Um, okay. So the, the quick question on this one is, um, is it more or less substantial than the uh, Moogle Chocobo carnival thing? Um, hard to say. It's more substantial in that they changed a lot more. It's less substantial in that I think it's less um, amazing in terms of being like a new area. Whereas with the Moogle Chocobo, it's like you've got this they huge went. new area that's just like, why is this happening? How are we, is this real? <laughs> kind of, yeah. like you've got five hours of free content in a whole new area, just like mm. for no reason, just it's Christmas all of a sudden. Um, mm. So now I'm not as, well, I am surprised, but um, it doesn't feel as expansive as that did at the time. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, that didn't really change any of the mechanics. Whereas this, does change uh, like i said a number of the mechanics um probably the most amazing to me was that first moment when you can actually climb on something you can climb onto a rooftop and you're now playing on the rooftops and it's like this is not yeah it's like this is not happening in a final fantasy game this is something new hey listen running around on rooftops has been around since at least final fantasy 9 I know, but not in the same way. I mean, at the time, <laughs> in those situations, that's just where the floor is, where you're running, you know? Yes, you, no, you see I what know. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whereas with this, it's like you actually... Yeah. I, I think you have a valid point, but <laughs> at the same time, like, you're actually going on the rooftops to escape from enemies and to get above them and to do aerial takedowns and to to look down on the crowds and watch over and figure out where to go next and how to navigate around your problems rather than just through them and things like that. It does Mm -hmm. open up a whole new layer to things. There's not, there's not a huge amount of rooftops. Like you can't climb walls, but you can go up to a bunch of new places and the new mechanics make it interesting. But also the main thing with this and probably why on second thought I should say this is definitely more expensive than Moogle um, is because there's actually a story running through this. Um, mm-hmm. They put quite a lot of effort into making a, com- not necessarily compelling, but like a story that has an actual motivation for the characters. Cause whereas in Chocobo, it's kind of like go here and then, oh, okay, now you need to buy this. So do stuff and then buy this. And then once you've bought that, there's an event and that's it. Um, obviously with that you make your own fun but with this um, you've got a real reason for doing things and you've got um, a kind of progression things change when you first go in you have a little explore well actually when you first start you're kind of tied into a story sequence then you have a little explore then there's more story and more exploring and like so it really does change as you go through Um, so I definitely recommend giving it a try cool um not to be missed i say the thing is it it disappears um theoretically i think at the end of this year so I'd, or it, at the start of the new year so i definitely recommend getting on it sooner rather than later um if you haven't bought final fantasy 15 already um it's probably cheap by now so it could be a good time not that i have any yep. personal stake in it i have nothing to gain but 
um you know there's free updates to chapter 12 and 13 well 13 has an alternate route and you've got these you've unfortunately missed the chocobo carnival but assassin's festival is still free so yep worth a shot indeed shall i all right i'll just quickly the last sure thing the other game i've been playing i know i've been talking for a while but the other game i've been playing uh this week i just started one of my Nvidia games. You know how I had that list of so many yeah. games I need to try and finish. Uh, I've started Gravity Rush Two because it was on the sale right when I needed it to be. And um, yep. as you know, the online services are shutting down at the end of the year. Right. Uh, it's so fun. Um, I've put probably fifteen hours in so far, and it's just enjoying it so much. It's changing so much, and I'm sure there's more change to come. Yeah. Just can't wait to play more hours of that. So probably talk about that next week. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, so I obviously have played a good amount more of Destiny 2. I've not Destiny actually 2. done the raid. Yeah. I've not actually done the raid because, honestly, I just can't be bothered to find people to go do it with right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now my life is absolutely chaotic. So uh, maybe at some point I'll settle down and find people to raid with and I'll get into that. Um I've been playing uh, a little bit more. I played through The Hunter. The story is fine the second time through, but I really just rushed through it. Um, why Why a second time through? Well, so it's playing through the story is really probably the best way to level up. Uh-huh. Um, and really, I just wanted to kind of uh, play through and see what the hunter played like because in destiny 2 they did actually do quite a good job of setting up the various classes and they're actually rather distinct um where in destiny 1 there were some aspects of the classes that were interesting most of the features of them were kind of whatever uh the you know, Titan could set up a shield, and the the hunter had the golden gun and Titan all the way. You know, yeah. Uh, but you know, aside from that, it didn't really do much. Whereas now, uh, there are they've added an ability on the um, circle button. So if you hold it down or double tap it, depending on the class, it does different things. So the Titans no longer have the bubble shield i don't think as their super but they can set up a vertical shield um using this ability which is pretty cool and that applies to all of their classes uh the warlock can create like an aura and the aura can either heal or amplify damage and then the hunter has a dodge mechanic uh and when you use the dodge it obviously it moves you out of the way but it can either recharge your melee attack or reload your weapon. So it makes the hunter a much more aggressive character. Oh, that um, sounds good. And yeah, so I was kind of interested in, in playing through that and seeing how it worked. Uh, the dodge, unfortunately, is not the most useful thing, except for in instances where you're playing, you know, when you're mobbed. It's actually a good way to get yourself out of a mob. Um, and then it actually works all right in, in PVP to get you out of certain instances, just because it's such a sudden direction change that human players actually have a little bit of an issue keeping up with it. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, it, it was all right. Uh, I've hit the point where, so after level 20, you get bright engrams, which is where the loot crate 
thing really kicks in. Um, and that's where they encourage you to make purchases with microtransactions. That's where you get all your colors and you, your emotes and ships and all that kind of stuff. And I've cashed in several of them. I have not bought any. I used to pay a lot more attention to my shaders. I don't even care now. I haven't changed a single shader since I started playing. Uh, I had their um, consumable. They are. They're consumable. And, and the end result is that I don't want to... I don't even bother looking at them because I don't have gear yet that I want to hold on to. Yeah, so that's how like, I like So now I'm paying absolutely no attention, and I'm probably never going to get to a point where I feel comfortable using them. So I had I'm not using them, and that's just oh well for the horde. So I, <laughs> and then uh, I've been playing Shadow of War, but I've only played a couple of hours, and uh, so far a lot of fun. It really, really drops you in the deep end all of a sudden. Uh, it does give you a quick. Hey, sneak up on this person, lure them over, kill them. Um, you can train drain people like this, and you cannot grab onto people in these scenarios. And But it's like, it doesn't even really spend a whole lot of time belaboring the points, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you've played the uh, previous one recently. But uh, I, for instance, was like, oh, yeah, I think I can do an execution if I hit these two buttons, and it didn't do it. And I was like, I don't know if that's because I'm doing it wrong or <laughs> if they took that ability away since it's the beginning of the game. Um, they, you know, took away the domination controls and all that kind of stuff. So you're stripped back a little bit, uh, but it, from the get go, it very literally, it just gives you like a recap of the first game. And then it's like, okay, so here's where we're starting out and things go terribly wrong within like the 15 seconds. And then you're like right into the game and you're in this giant fortress and you are sneaking through because you don't really have any powers yet and you have to get to the other end and then it drops you in another gigantic fortress immediately after you finish that story part which i've been in for like an hour and a half at this point and that's the game like that's what i've been doing <laughs> is essentially it seems like a huge part of that sort of raid thing that they were talking about um it looks like and this is just what i've seen is um if you, I don't know if you played the first game. Uh, in the first game, Mordor had like all these different orcs, and there were you know like captains and chieftains and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Each, it seems like each outpost has its own set of that of roughly equivalent size. So there's like you know the the one person at the top, and then like you've got your four chieftains, and then all these captains and. But those are specific to that particular location. Um, and you can, like, I, I just traveled back to the first fortress for a story purpose. And the setup is, it's the same idea, but it's di an entirely different suite of orcs. <laughs> so it seems like each citadel or whatever is going to have its own set that you're going to have to work through. So there's like multiples of the shadow of mordor game in this one game yeah you gotta be selective about who you recruit yeah but i suppose uh, it yeah, also I, means I, that you I have guess. to cry as much when they die yeah yeah there's there's just there's just so much uh so i will report back once i know more but otherwise right now it seems like 
the fortresses are a much denser version of what Shadow of Mordor was. You're kind of skipping the large open fields for the most part. There's some fields just kind of immediately around these fortresses, but otherwise it's very city-based or fortress-based, so a lot more verticality and all that kind of stuff. Less fluff. Uh, but it's other. It's otherwise very much the same game, except faster. They do give you a bunch of movement stuff right off the bat, so you're just like scaling buildings like crazy. <laughs> good. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So uh, obviously we're going to skip the uh, trivia because that just wouldn't be fair. No, uh, but maybe it would be fair if I. Yeah, if I if I started letting you do that by yourself. <laughs> um, so we're just going to jump into our poll from last week. Uh, has your desire for trophies ever interfered with your enjoyment of a game? Uh, we got actually a fair number of people, a lot of diversity in the answers. Um, coming, at, coming in at fourth was never. Trophies can only improve the experience. Very positive. Uh, yeah, uh, only 13% of people on that one. Uh. Uh, we had a tie for second uh, with 27% each. Uh, the two options were only when they involve multiplayer in some way, and often enough that trophy lists uh, often enough that trophy lists factor into my purchasing decisions. So, kind of a little bit on opposite. So that's the there. kind of slightly positive and slightly negative. Yes, um, or or maybe even extremely negative. I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, kind of an interpretive. And then coming in at first with 33% is sometimes it's situational. So it depends on, I guess, what type of game people are playing or what have you, which certainly makes sense to me. Uh, you know, the trophy lists in some games uh, I don't even think about. And then other games I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to want to get every trophy, but maybe I will not buy it if I can't. Yeah. So. Um, and then out we, with a bit of a like a a bell shaped curve there. It kind of did, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which which means that we have uh, reasonable people mm. in the in the polls. Uh, so we did we did have a couple of interesting comments. Um, so Robbie the robot fan said, "I hate whenever trophies are either glitched, no longer achievable, or all the trophies are for just completing the game normally." Give me one missable trophy, damn it. Um, and I, I wasn't entirely sure how to take that as in, like, a challenge. I will no, I... You know, mess, mess you up if you give me one missable trophy. I, miss it. <laughs> no, I really like that, actually. Um... Yeah, but I think I think what he, he's trying to say, or they're trying to say, is, um, you know, put a, a missable trophy. Put something in there that I can, you know, get outside of the normal gameplay. Well, it's, it's a good point. I mean, if you think about... We were saying Telltale Games with their like automatic story trophies is a good thing, but he's made a good point that if you make them all... If it's if, just... Imagine if that took over the whole trophy landscape. If all of the trophies were just automatic, how dull it would be. There do have to be some missable trophies for it to be exciting. Um, or I don't know if missable trophies is necessarily it, but like something off the beaten path, you know? Something yes. to want to that gets you motivated to go and explore well if it's not missable in the um like completion sense of you have to start a new game but missable in the sense of right you don't automatically get it on finishing as long as you can get it then um by going for it then that's yeah good post game or new game plus or mm -hmm. or, or chapter select or something um 
Hyed said the they were glad to hear another episode of Podcast ET. I didn't yeah, have to read you. that part. <laughs> yeah. My ego. Well, I know, I know. I needed to stoke your ego. Every now and then, a prince needs to be um, prodded a little bit. You know, he's high maintenance. So. <laughs> Uh, I try to focus more on fun than trophies, but the call of the trophies sometimes interferes. For me, when trophies start making things less fun, I adjust my trophy goals. For example, I used to like daily trophy streaks, but sometimes it felt like a chore. Now I'm just working to increase my trophy percentage slowly over time. Uh, and when I started on PS3, I didn't pay attention to trophies too much, so my percentage is close to 50%. Uh, I'm right there with you. First of all, congratulations. Yeah. Fifty um, percent. Good for you, I guess. I don't know. No, no, I'm I mean, right around the, there. He's 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 improving it. That's that's the. Problem. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, making progress is good. I, sorry, I didn't mean to take away from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can certainly relate. But my problem is quite the opposite. It's not that I didn't care. It's that I just keep charging ahead anyways. Mm. I'm at forty two point three percent. For me, I can I can completely um, connect with this comment. I I was so close. I was basically going to comment on both of these comments. Then I thought I can't quote two comments in my replies. I'll I'll make everything really cluttered. So I I held mm-hmm. off to to comment on them here. Um, first of all, I'm not really a fan of um, trophy streaks. That's kind of like one of those things I've had in the back of my mind for quite a long time because they can kind of it depends on the person. For some people, it's great because that motivates you to get a trophy all the time. Yeah. Um, for other people, it gets in the way because it makes you start to think about doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do in a bad way. Rather than playing when you wouldn't play, it's playing in a bad way. Um, right. So I think for long periods of time, it can be a problem, um, which is why I think completion percentage is the ultimate and best um sort of goal no matter how no matter where you're starting from no matter how much you want to change it like how how big of a gain you want to get it doesn't matter if you just sort of try and get more trophies which is essentially what completion percentage is about um that's essentially just gonna you know that's gonna be uh the joy of getting trophies it's it's kind of like pays for itself um yeah in that sense i think i lost mm-hmm. my train of thought but I, I kind of understood where you were going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I feel like it's probably one of the most um, pure sort of trophy things you can do. It's like yeah. you can always add games to get more trophies, mm-hmm. but there is a uh, best and worst when it comes to completion percentage. Like there, well, there is a an absolute gauge that does not change that you can sort of – go by which i think is interesting well it's, it's also very personal because you don't have to yep. try and become like number one ranked 100 percent completion just go right. for wherever you think um like look at the games that you've played especially i especially like it because it encourages people to um play some of the games they've not had the chance to play or forgotten about and things like that but mm. um it kind of gives you a chance to sort of just play the games you have and not worry about spending more money or um, like playing the newest thing, whatever. Just enjoy the games you have, and um, just unlock trophies. That's what it's, what it's all about, isn't it? So, yep. 
And then finally, McVexy said, uh, loathe to say it, but trophy lists do stop me from buying games. It's a painful habit that has kind of ruined my enjoyment of games to a degree. That's rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no ending to that comment. Is. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I've been there. Uh, sometimes I still am. So, All right. uh, and on that bombshell, we end the sh- no, not really. <laughs> yeah. For, um, <laughs> well, actually, that is kind of kind of where we are. No, I mean, um, uh, he's he's got a point that um, sometimes you do stop from buying some games, but I take that two ways. For one, it makes you more selective about which games you get, which means you end up with more games that you actually want to play and complete. Yeah. Um, hopefully, complete. Maybe you're not into completing, but more games that you want to play and get trophies in. Um, and the other thing is that um, it kind of it doesn't necessarily stand up, but in my mind, it it shows the devs that making trophies that are sadistic and bunching to their players on is not good, and nobody likes that. And like achievements like Gears of War, seriously, just not good for anybody. So please stop making them. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this full circle real quick, and then we're gonna bug out, uh-huh. which is to say that obviously the whole point of trophies is to incentivize people to play the game. And then when you go and do stuff and you do it poorly, then you can sort of end up causing players to get distracted from playing the game and then not want to buy the game in the first place. And then you're sort of disincentivizing people. Same thing with oh, trippy. Thank you. I had a great night. Uh, it's been great being here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you can subscribe on the site, on YouTube, rate us on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us at True Trophies. I'm at Mega Brand Zero. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Have fun. Bye. See you around.